If you are an HR professional, business owner, or at the operations level trying to understand what people want, you may be struggling. Our systems have been shocked, practices have been questioned, and culture is the leading conversation. Let's learn how culture is created, sustained, and why it should be the leading conversation when discussing hiring, training, and retention. This is the foundation of any business, and it's time to address it. So tune in to Let's Talk HR, humanizing the conversation. We tackle topics that influencers of change need to understand and struggle to overcome every day, such as where to start and what the new workforce wants and how to attract and keep positive momentum going. I'm your host, Leanne Lovely. This episode is sponsored by Practice Law, the law firm that puts professionalism in legal representation. Their attorneys have 49 years of experience behind their work. If you have questions or concerns, they are the attorneys you can trust. With expertise in litigation, real estate, criminal defense, family and divorce, business and real estate planning, you can count on them. Practice moves legal services forward. You can contact Practice at 414-988-9596 or 262-269-9140. Or you can inquire on their website, www.practicelaw.com. That's www.p-r-a-k-t-e-s-s-l-a-w.com. Paula Rollenbuehler brings over 30 years of experience in human resources with service-based organizations to coaching clients on leadership development. Having experienced a variety of cultures in the U.S. and in the Caribbean enhances her ability to meet people where they are and take them where they want to go. Specializing in emotional intelligence, her work with clients helps them create their chosen legacy, clarify their goals, and challenges them to reach beyond their comfort zone, and certainly above and beyond their job description. In this realm, her clients explore the neuroscience of leadership and get to what really makes those legendary leaders you read and hear about. What inspires Paula most is tapping into the unique talents of her clients and working with them to make the best use of their strengths while building confidence and competence. I call strength and weakness aces and spades. The goal is not to fill in the spaces, but to play to your aces well. Paula, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Excellent. So why don't you tell me, you know, start off by telling me a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, well, I'm, uh, I think the current terminology now for people that are kind of going off on their own is I'm a recovering HR director. Um, I spent about 30 years primarily in the hospitality industry, in HR, um, a few years also in the healthcare industry, but really working with the employees. And that's really where I thrived. Um, you know, you think of hotels really as a front desk and housekeeping and that type of stuff, but there's an incredible amount of opportunity to work with employees mm -hmm. and help them be the best that they can be. And that's really what drew me into, you know, kind of a service-based business is it really is all about the experience, which is gives you a lot of creativity and a lot of opportunity to help people really bring out the best of themselves. Um, so I spent about 30 years, uh, you know, in the hospitality industry, a lot of people, they grow their, um, they grow their career by working at different properties. So it's a little bit like the military, um, other than we get to work in prettier places, uh, you know, that type of thing. So I did um, probably about 10 years in the Wisconsin market, then moved to California and lived in Southern California, Northern California. From there, I went to Jamaica and spent about 18 months from there, went to Boston, uh, returned to Wisconsin, did some Chicago time, and then came back to Wisconsin. So what I found was really that it, with each location, it was it was slightly different, but the people really are the same. Mm -hmm. And they had the same needs and the same aspirations. Um, the culture of the hotel was slightly different because each area kind of brought their own spin to hospitality. You know, So in Jamaica, they're very um, musical. And so you would walk down the hallways and the housekeepers would just be singing to themselves. You know, um, you know, Boston, certainly much more city centric and much more formal, you know, those types of things. So it, was, it challenged me in that way. But each time I moved, I kept looking for that perfect job. 
and thought that maybe this would be the one that would allow me to do what I enjoyed most, which was developing people. And, and it would start out great. Um, but then after a while, it, it came to be the same thing. And HR, I think a lot by necessity is turned to be more about compliance than it is about really developing people. And, and with each move, that that lesson came sooner and sooner um, to the point I think the shortest time was probably about three months where before it would have been like a year or two before I kind of realized, okay, this is, it's the same thing. Um, and I've always liked that developing people. And so about three years ago, decided for a couple of reasons to, to strike out on my own so that I could have that quality of life that I wanted and so that I could give the best of myself more often. Um, and, and doing that in a corporate environment, I realized that that, just, that probably was not gonna happen. So that was 2019, uh, left for, for that reason to start my own business, but also to help my mother live more comfortably in her home in the last months of her life. So I had an opportunity to spend time with her and really give back to her what she had given to me um, throughout all of my years. Um, and then be able to spend enough time to be able to create my own business. And so I uh, did that about three years ago um, and have been working with clients on things like emotional intelligence and how does that relate to leadership? How does that relate to problem solving, stress management, uh, all those different types of things. Wow. So before we dive too deep into what you just mentioned, I want to go back um, to, you know, a little bit of your experience with, you know, the hotel industry. And one, you, it sounds like you had a, an amazing opportunity to experience a lot of different cultures, because you lived in a lot of different areas that were clearly different. You know, obviously, in Jamaica, you have, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. you know, the even the housekeepers, just the, um, the cultural differences there where everybody was singing versus yeah. Boston or here in Wisconsin, I'm sure that's drastically different. What were some of the challenges being moving from one state to another with just that piece of the different mindsets from one place to another? Um, I think the, you know, the opportunity was, is to really take the time to learn their culture before trying to make any changes is that seat first to understand rather than to be understood. And it's not so much if it's not broke, don't fix it, mm -hmm. but to really better understand what the challenge is. Mm -hmm. So in Jamaica, for example, that property in particular was one that typically was used to help leaders come develop their skills and then they would move on. And so most leaders spent two years there. And so one of the challenges with the, the employees were that they knew these leaders were only here for two years. And then they would switch to a new leader and they'd have to adjust to a new leader. And so it's not that the employees were not loyal, it's just that they had experienced so much change that they, they didn't necessarily invest that much because they knew in two years, which goes by like, like lightning, they'd have to learn somebody else's style. And that's, you know? that's hard. I mean, that's ridiculously mm -hmm. hard when you're constantly, why would you stake your roots you know it's it's like a kid in a military family why make a whole bunch of friends if you know that you're going to be leaving in two years or leaving in a year from now because you're you know sure you're gonna... well yeah and for the leaders you know they want to come in and make their mark right because this was a way to kind of get their name out there and so they did want to come in and make changes quickly right because they wanted that reputation um and and that's not easy to do when you don't even know what the problem is right you're bringing somebody else's perspective in there and not really taking the time to get to know the team members because you're so you know some of those leaders were so concerned about their own reputation and they wanted to have that legacy mm -hmm. and they're like wait a minute you don't even you haven't even you don't even know my name you know right. or how we do things here so working with the leaders to help them understand how to navigate that so that they could still build that legacy but not just be a flash in the pan kind of a thing. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. And so then you worked in place, you, you mentioned Boston, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So how is, how is Boston versus a market in Wisconsin, you know, different? Um, Boston was different. Certainly, you know, I worked in the, you know, in the heart of the city, you know, so certainly a lot of activity um, that 
that location that I started with had a very strong union presence. So I had worked in union properties before, but unions weren't quite as strong. And I'm pretty sure it was local, local one or two. So it was one of the very first hospitality unions. Mm -hmm. So they had a long history. And I think they had just finished contract negotiations. So there was quite a bit of um, emotion tied with that and us versus them, right. you know, those sorts of things. So it was, um, you know, I hadn't worked in a union property for, you know, that 18 months that I was in Jamaica and the one in California wasn't all that aggressive. Mm -hmm. And so adjusting to that um, and the key that was really having strong relationships with the union stewards, not to have them do things my way, but again, to be, uh, be able to understand where they were coming from so that we didn't have so many confrontations and we had more conversations mm -hmm. um, and really working with with those employees to, okay, what do we do here? Because we're both in this together. Right. And so now you made a comment that, you know, you quickly started to realize, you know, instead of it being a year, being three months at times that, wow, I'm, I'm not so much the, hey, come in and be the people leader rather than that HR person who is laying down those policies and procedures. Mm -hmm. And I guess being the, the gatekeeper of, the company and making sure that they're protected, right? And mm -hmm. that is unfortunately where HR, where human resources has kind of gone. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen it evolve over time. And many of us, you know, legacy HR people, um, I don't know if I'm considered that quite yet. I, I think I'm <laughs> getting up there. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I originally went into, into human resources because I wanted to be a resource for humans mm -hmm. at a company and help people. Mm -hmm. But quickly, you know, even in, in the beginning of my career, because I started really in 2008, I quickly okay. became, wow, this, this is not fun. I'm laying people off. I'm being laid off. Oh. And all of a sudden it was, hey, we need somebody to come in and change policies. And I'm like, wow, everybody hates me. <laughs> and I'm not saying that that's for every, you know, there are a lot of great HR leaders out there. Oh. So tell me a little bit more about that kind of eye-opening moment where you're like, wow, this is really becoming apparent for me. And I guess what drove you to then say, hey, I want to be my own business owner. And I know you also mentioned a personal drive for that too, right. but. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the compliance is, is critical. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, HR, I think one of the primary functions of the HR function is to protect the company. Right. And so the harassment training, mm -hmm. you know, now currently the DEI training and those things are all important. Right. Um, unfortunately, I think when when companies need to make a choice of what they what they need, they need to protect the company from lawsuits. And so the push is to do compliance training and do these policies and procedures. Um, I think I heard somebody describe an orientation as these are all the ways not to get fired in your first 90 days. <laughs> yeah, that's six. That makes me want to attend orientation. Um, but it's true. You know, it's how they, you know, CYA. Mm -hmm. And I get that. Um, but it was interesting. So now we're hearing people leaving and companies, you know, they're experiencing a lot of turnover mm -hmm. and losing top talent. And so a lot of focus is on keeping the talent. And I had seen um, a graph within the last week of where training dollars are spent. The top one was training new hires, critically important. Mm -hmm. The second one was compliance. The last one on the list was developing people for succession planning. And so you have these people that are, you know, they're compliant and you're getting new hires up to speed. But I don't know that I've ever looked when I've considered people for promoting, I don't think I've ever looked at whether they did compliance perfectly. I look for their leadership skills, relationship building, are they engaging their team? And if companies want to keep their leaders and development is what I'm hearing is what is very important, if not most important for employees is that they have developmental opportunities they're, they're not going to get it by sending them to compliance training. No. And I, I remember seeing a statistic and I, and I, it's lost to me right now off the top of my head, it, but it was like, I think it was like in the 70% somewhere of people of managers who, who took a, a you know, a survey 
Um, and it was like 70% of them were saying, you know, did you ever have management or leadership training? And none of, none of them had. They were offered a management role. They were moved into a management and none of them had had any type of management or leadership training. Mm-hmm. Now, and obviously, you know, man, those are two different things, management versus leadership. But right. both of them are vitally important depending on the type of role that you have. You can't just take right. a You can't just take an employee who's been, you know, their whole career, a follower and then say, hey, we want you to now be a manager or a leader. Mm hmm and navigate that it sure it's not it's not an easy thing to do you have to have a completely different mindset and then companies wonder well why are you failing at this right well and what i've seen with those those people that have been pushed into that situation is since they don't know how to lead they know that raising their voice will get results it's not the best way to get results Mm -hmm. because then they're you know managing or leading through command and control but they know if I enforce the policies, if I write people up because of this, that, or another thing, that's all that they know to do. Mm-hmm. And we don't really teach people, even in you know in my MBA program many, many years ago, maybe it's changed, but I had no leadership classes, mm-hmm. had a couple HR classes, but that was more about policies and procedures, but everything else was about productivity and that type of thing. So, and maybe that's changed, but even in the organizations, we might do a leadership you know, program that was maybe 12 weeks, but there was no follow-up after it. Right. How are these people actually implementing these things? Do they even know how to do that? Right. Um, and, you know, to your question of what made me finally decide is, you know, with the last property, you know, it again was another, we had um, actually my very first day, I get there at nine o'clock. I think by 9.30, I'm in a cab to go to another hotel because they're having one of their union negotiation meetings. So, um, and most of all of my interviews were by phone. Um, so I hadn't even met any of these people. I don't even know how they, what they look like or anything like that. But my very first day, usually I, I walk around, I want to meet people, you know, that type of stuff. But I'm in a, I'm in a cab down to another hotel to, to meet the rest of the HR team and then going into a negotiation meeting, um, which at that point they were fairly well along. So they're getting to those points where it's really the meat mm-hmm. of the contract. So the meetings are, are much more serious toned um, those types of things. But that's also how I met a few of my own union stewards. You know, that was their first experience with me. And I didn't talk or anything. I was just there to observe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that was the introduction to that property is, you know, how does this union interact with HR people? And probably the most um, contentious time that you would is in negotiations, mm-hmm. um, you know, that type of thing. So with that property, yeah, it was, and they had recently taken it over. So we had to redo I-9s and, you know, that type of stuff. So that was my introduction rather than that person, like you said, to be a resource for people Mm -hmm. and help people. My introduction was, and I think we were also implementing a new HRIS system. So transferring that, which was fraught with problems. And so it was, it was kind of a perfect storm. (laughs) Um, but even after that settled down, even after we kind of got things under control, it still was about that compliance and managers wanting to, you know, what can I do within the contract? Mm-hmm. How can I discipline people and not have it grieved and lose the grievance? That type of thing, rather than how do we reintegrate this team after they struck, get them back on the team, create those relationships and those types of things. There really wasn't much time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point with my mother's health, I'm like, you know what, if I'm ever going to do this, now's the time to do it. And I don't want to miss that time with her um, to be able to do it. And I just, I just knew it was never going to turn around. Um, they had an outsourced training function. So I knew those things were never going to come back to me where I could participate in it. And they had their system set up, you know, those types of things. So I was like, you know what, let's do it. Yeah. I've been thinking about it for a while. You know what? Let's just watch off, walk off the end of the pier and um, do what I need to do to be able to bring out my best self right. um, rather than continue to go to work in a zombie state and go through the motions. And yeah, I was successful, but not my definition of success. Right. And that's, that's the most important thing. And, and I think that's, that's a powerful statement, a very powerful statement that you just made. Yeah. Your, and they didn't your... get the best of me. Right. Your definition of success. Um, and I think that that's the, the key statement there because there are many people that I look at 
that I think are brilliant and wildly successful. And then I find out a month or two later and they're like, oh, I made a major move in my life. And I go, what? But you were so great. And they're like, yeah, I was. But I wasn't happy. I wasn't Mm -hmm. home for my children or I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And you go, oh, well, good for you. Mm -hmm. So good for you for, for, you know, having enough emotional intelligence to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. So tell me now, what is your, you know, you're, you're a business owner. You tell me now a little bit about that. And I'm sorry, I, I, is your mother still? No, she passed away about nine months after. Yeah. I'm very glad that I was here. I was here at the most important time. Right. Um, So, yeah. And, and I am sorry to hear that, but it is, but it's wonderful that you had that time with her and Mm -hmm. that you were able to to do that. So. Yeah, definitely. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what you're doing now and you know, how you're, how you pivoted to, to, you know, run your own business and and what you're doing. Sure. Um, Well, for me, you know, the difference between training and development is the follow through. So I kind of use the analogy is, you know, when you get your driver's license, you know how to drive, but you're not an excellent driver. And I think leadership development is the same thing is, yeah, they got their leadership training and they know the policies and procedures and, you know, all of those different types of things. They know how to schedule people, but it's, it's after that, that they actually develop their leadership skills. When they come across, I don't know how to address this employee, um, you know, their performance, you know, they're always, you know, reactionary. How can I make sure that they stay in the conversation? You know, we don't teach those things. Mm-hmm. We don't follow through with those things. And so my, my business really is working with leaders to develop those leadership skills. I mean, you hear, you know, you read all these books of excellent leaders and all these how-tos, but then they're practicing somebody else and they're, you know, kind of trying to be, you know, like an Elon Musk or an Adam Grant or, and they're doing it their way. So again, they're still putting on an act that's not truly them. Right. So, you know, I do a lot of work with strengths management, some of the Clifton strengths finders. I use an EQ tool, which marries well with that because the EQ tool is behavioral, mm-hmm. where the strengths or personality more is um, fixed. Okay. And taking a look at that to say, okay, how do you bring your best self? But how do you use behaviors? Because behaviors you can change, mm-hmm. but that they're authentic. They may be new to you. You may never have had to do this, but how do you do that so that it so that it works well for you? So a lot of my work isn't necessarily like in your face emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Like today, let's work on the composite of stress management. Um, unless that's the topic that they're bringing. We talk about flexibility, you know, we talk about being an open-minded and you know how that can get in their way on either end of those spectrums. Um, but the more and more I work with emotional intelligence, the more and more I know how it impacts, it has a play in literally everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly for leaders, just to help them understand what it is. Because most people, I think, when they think of emotional intelligence, they really think in terms of empathy. And empathy, mm-hmm. they see sometimes as a weakness. Because mm-hmm. empathy, often they see as that's me giving up my responsibility and my authority and it's not or they think that if i give too much empathy to my employees they're going to turn around and walk all over me right yeah and interesting i was on a um on a call yesterday and we were talking about emotional empathy and the other people on the call really kind of thought it only came into play under stress and you need to be aware of your emotions Mm -hmm. so that you don't say the wrong thing when under stress. And it's that limited belief mm-hmm. that I think holds leaders back mm-hmm. because they only apply it during stress or when they feel like they need to show empathy. And every other time, they're not really cognizant of what it means to attend to social responsibility, what it means to attend to interpersonal relationships. Right. What is, how does it impact decision-making? Mm-hmm. And really kind of taking a look at, you know, say, taking a look at their results to say, okay, here's, you know, this is where you are, you know, where do you see that helping you or hurting you? Because with emotional intelligence, it's not so much about more, you know, it's not an attempt to get a score to a hundred. Mm-hmm. It's really more about what's needed now. 
because sometimes flexibility is benefit and sometimes it's not, you know? So how do you be firm, but not, you know, stonewall somebody, Mm -hmm. but how do you do that and maintain your relationship? Right. You know, when you have to tell somebody, no, we can't accommodate that request. How can you do that with empathy, maintain the relationship and, and have them understand rather than coming in as that new manager who knows nothing else to do, the answer is no, because I said so. You can leave now. Um, it's, you know, how do you, how do you bring that all into play? Right. And we don't teach, we don't really don't teach people that. Mm-mm. No, no. And it's uh, often it's hard to, and I'm actually thinking to myself, like I, I, I'm going back, I'm thinking back to when I was my younger self, right? My younger mm-hmm. self, when I was a rigid don't move anything on my desk because I'll have a meltdown of who touched my things of, mm-hmm. you know, in, in those younger days where I couldn't handle, like, I, I had a boss, I had an amazing boss who n- recognized this in me. And so she would mm-hmm. do the most horrific things to me. I thought they were horrific, but she was actually, she actually helped me a great deal. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody came in and moved anything on my desk or anything. So she actually made a point and, and I wouldn't go out to lunch. I had a lunch every single day that I ate at my desk. And so she made a point to be like, okay, today you're going out to lunch. And I'm like, no, 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 I can't go out to lunch. I have, this is my routine. And she's like, nope, you you're required. It's a requirement. We're having a working lunch at this place. And I'm like, oh my God. Then she went as far as to say, okay, I come in one day and she goes, we're moving your desk somewhere else. And I'm like, what? And I like, I mean, I literally almost had a breakdown. Like, I, I can't do this. Well, she started doing it on a regular basis to me. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding. Like, but it mm-hmm. actually started to get me comfortable with the fact that change happens, right? Mm-hmm. So now, years later, as I've, you know, kind of been in some management roles, it's hard for, um, it's hard for somebody to come in when, when you, when you're all of a sudden hit with that oh my gosh, I'm in a situation where I, I have to say no to somebody. I have to roll with, mm-hmm. you know, I have to roll with this. Mm-hmm. At that moment, when you're in that moment, you kind of go, wait a second, how do I, how do I handle this? And, and you, you do, you have to pull back from, you have to take that breath, that moment and go, okay, wait, I can't just simply say no. I have to give them a why. I have to give them an understanding. Otherwise mm-hmm. you come off as being that unempathetic, unemotional, Mm -hmm. un, but you also, what I found is that it's the same with a four-year-old and I have a four-year-old that if I just say no to her, it's, Mm -hmm. but mama, but mama, but mama, it's the same thing. And I'm not, I'm not comparing, you know. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. But it is. If you have a no, but here's why, Mm -hmm. or yes, if it can be done this way or that, that's what every human needs and thrives for, Mm -hmm. right? It's a, it's a simple explanation as to no, but we can do this. Right. And that was kind of a fumbled example. And the reason I gave the example of the manager who kept doing that to me Mm -hmm. was because she recognized my weakness and she helped me overcome that without me even realizing to the point where I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, I don't really care where I said anymore. Mm -hmm. And that was over the series of a couple of years. Sure. And now I'm able to roll with that stuff. I'm able to, um, not saying that I'm a great leader or a great manager by any means, you know, I've got a long ways to go with that. But um, by having those people who are constantly pushing you, who are constantly, you know, helping you along, um, that it, it's an amazing thing to have. Sure. And that, you know, just kind of brings up for me the importance of transparency. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, that's something that people kept asking for is we want you to be transparent. And again, I think that that concept is, I don't know if it's misunderstood or not clearly understood because the transparency really comes in and to just to use your examples of, you know, of even a four-year-old and, you know, the people is helping them understand what went into the decision. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you don't necessarily need to get into all of the whys if you needed to lay somebody off, because that's going to freak people out that the company is losing money and, you know, that type of stuff, but be able to let them know, you know, what came into this decision and why were they impacted? And we've got a master's from MSU. It's not Michigan State, it's not Missouri State, but we've got a master's in making stuff up. 
um, depending, depending on the client, the language is a little bit more colorful. Um, but we all make stuff up. And, and when people don't have the information, we make up our own stories. Mm -hmm. So we make up a story that they don't like me. That's why they laid me off. Right. And they right. don't like me because um, I'm friends with the boss or I'm new or, you know, for whatever reason. And then you have to deal with that mess. Right. Uh, no, that's not. This was a business decision. But if you do that up front, it does a couple things. It helps control the MSU. Um, but it also keeps them out of their fear-based brain. And because when you're in that amygdala, some scientists say you literally cannot hear. So if you've ever been just like so angry or so fearful, you really, you've got tunnel vision and you don't see anybody reaching out to help you or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And when we can have honest conversations with people, even if they're uncomfortable, it keeps them in that executive brain where they can still hear understand, comprehend. It doesn't mean that they agree. It doesn't mean that you get a hug at the end of that conversation. Um, but at least they don't hopefully feel that it's personal. Right. And that it's um, arbitrary. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it helps them walk out of there feeling like they were respected, because it's not no, because I told you, because I said so. Mm -hmm. It's no, and these are some of the reasons why. And that's where managers struggle too, because they think transparency is let's open all of it and right. let me show you the PL and right. you know, all of those types of things. And that's not what it is. Well, and there's different levels of transparency depending on the mm. on, on what we're we're talking about. You know, sure. transparency of how the company is doing financially, transparency mm. of of a decision that's being made in, internally, transparent I mean, there's mm. definitely different levels of that, but right. you're I mean I've been told by numerous people that the brain fills in what it doesn't understand. Right. I mm -hmm. mean, if you're, if you're given only half the truth, the brain will fill in what it believes the rest of the truth is. Sure. Um, and that's where you get gossip. All of a mm -hmm. sudden you've got rumors flying around and it's only half or partial truth, but it, there is a, a, a little string of the truth in it. So it's just mm -hmm. enough believable that it spreads like wildflower fire. So yeah, it's it's so if you just go come come out with here's why we made a decision here's why we're doing this here's mm -hmm. why it's so much easier to squash rumors from going around because then all of a sudden if you're given the I guess quote unquote boring real explanation it's less likely that people are going to go well let me tell you what happened because mm -hmm. it's not as interesting your brain all of a sudden right. you know fills in a much more colorful story usually yeah. Yeah. And so for your leader who was testing you is what would have been different had she said, you know what, I see this as a challenge for you. Mm -hmm. And as you grow your career, it's going to be important that you get comfortable with change. And so I'm not going to tell you it's going to be like a fire drill, <laughs> but I'm going to push you a little bit. You know, you may, you, it would still have been uncomfortable, but at least you would have understood in the moment, oh, this is what's happening. I still don't like it. It, but I get it, it. And it did kind of become a joke. I came in one day and I told her that I was going to super glue my chair to the floor so that she couldn't move my stuff. I mean, it did end up becoming, you know, a sure. departmental joke of Leanne can't handle change, which, mm -hmm. again, in my early 20s, I was incapable of handling change. And eventually it got to the point where I was like, OK, I just I'm going to have to roll with this. I'm going to have to deal with it. And, and it did. It helped me immensely. Now I mm -hmm. that I no longer have any problem with that. Um, yeah. You know, this was, I would think it was like 23, 24 um, at the time. And uh, she was an amazing boss, an amazing mm -hmm. boss. She was also very young in her career. Um, sure. Her name was Carol, and I, I won't say anything yeah. else. And if she listens to this, I'm sure she will remember who she is. Sure. But yeah, um, yeah. so, it, all right. So beyond, um, you know, beyond that, um, you you do a lot of coaching. Um, you are also a member of. So you are also a member um, of Better Up. Yes. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about that. Better Up has been for me a wonderful experience uh, because it's exposed me to individual clients that I wouldn't have had access to before. So they contract with an organization, and then the members, as we call them, rather than clients, they go onto a platform, they read three profiles, and select a coach. So I've had been able to work with 
with people that are in multinational organizations. Um, I have one that's now in, I believe she's in Ireland. I know she's in, in Europe, um, people in Mexico, um, people from industries that I typically, I probably would not have thought to engage mm -hmm. because, because of my service industry background, that's ten, that tends to be where I you know, look for clients. Mm -hmm. um, but it's been such a great way to, to meet with people from all these different industries. And again, like the hospitality, they have the same challenges that my leaders did confidence. Mm -hmm. um, how do I talk to my boss about a sensitive topic? Um, man, I don't think I can do this. How I don't, man, they promoted me and I'm not sure I can do this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those types of things without, you know, for this model, without me needing to do the marketing. So I just, they pick me and we just jump right into the coaching. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that as a business person, you know, you know, that takes a lot off of me mm -hmm. to then not have to find them and I can do uh, what I enjoy most and what are, where I think I have an impact on them. So it's been, you know, for me, it's been an enjoyable experience um, and, and really being able to touch so many different lives mm -hmm. and have an impact on them really has been, I think, beneficial for them because um, there's some clients that have re-upped and, you know, when the end of the contract, they talk with their employer and we're able to kind of extend the engagement um, you know, those types of things, but to see their growth, um, and where they came from and what they were able to handle. Um, cause I truly believe having an outside source is really helpful for employees mm -hmm. because there, I never talk with their manager. There's, there's no interaction. So there's no expectation and there's no, um, I guess, tie in with the organization. I don't get tied into the politics or into the drama. Um, those types of things. I'm, I'm totally detached from all of that. So we can have some truly honest conversations and dig deep. And the, the member knows it's never going to come back. That's there's that, not a chance of anything like that. And that's great. That's the way that it, that's the way that it should be. So mm -hmm. is the organization requesting you or is the individual requesting you? The individual. Okay. Well, that's, mm -hmm. that's awesome. So you're but, also the CEO of bias. Correct. That that's more recent that you've engaged in that. Yeah, just, you know, for the for the empathy piece, mm -hmm. um, because that, you know, again, that empathy piece really is that misunderstood that it only comes into play when somebody's upset. But I also think empathy is important when somebody's celebrating something is that you truly understand why somebody is so excited about this opportunity mm -hmm. um, and, and do it genuinely rather than, you know, congratulations on getting promoted or congratulations, you're having a baby mm -hmm. is empathy, I think is, is so critical, but we only talk about it when somebody's upset. Right. Oh, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Um, how can I make it better? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes empathy is really just listening and letting somebody get it off their chest. And it's not about solving a problem. Right. It's about sitting there with them by their side. You're not in this alone. Mm -hmm. Okay. There. What? What is that phrase? Where the a quote? Um, I am not your problem to solve. Uh, there, it goes on mm -hmm. more than that. But and that's that's so true. Is mm -hmm. there are times where I'll, I'll and I I talk about my dad a lot. Um, because my dad is my um best friend. He's my greatest mentor. He's mm -hmm. my sounding board. He's you know. And anyways, but mm -hmm. um. There are times where I, I, I will call him and just rant about my day. And he was a manager for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he'll, he'll listen to me. He's my empathetic ear and he'll go, do you want me to give you advice? Or do you just need an empathetic ear? I'm like, yep, mm -hmm. just an empathetic ear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, ah, okay, I feel better. Thanks. Some yeah. And it's a safe place, right? It's not, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not calling my boss and well, I better not be calling my boss if I'm, you know, yeah. complaining. No, I, I don't actually complain about my boss. He's actually a, yeah. a great boss, but sure. you know, and that's, that's mm -hmm. what it's about. That's sometimes he's also the one who taught me that the most important things in life, birth, death, um, those are, I mean, those are two of the most important things 
in, in you know, no matter what. Mm-hmm. If somebody is dealing with a death in their family, if somebody is dealing with a birth in their family, you know, there are certain things in life that, that trump everything else, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not always tragedy. Sometimes right. it's it's birth. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. the celebration of something. And we need as managers, as employers, as to understand that. I, I have one of my, my partners at work, um, my employees that just recently, she says, well, I, she's going on vacation. Mm-hmm. And she asked me, she says, do you think I can work from home tomorrow? And I said, no, I really need you in the office. She's still training. She's brand new. Okay. I said, I really need you in the office tomorrow. She says, yeah, but I'm going to be working all night tonight. And I said, wait, wait, what do you mean you're going to be working? I said, when you leave here at the office, mm-hmm. why are you working? Well, I've got these deadlines I have to meet. I said, your training deadlines? She's, yeah, I've got to make sure that I get the, I said, no, uh-uh. I said, when you leave here, you're supposed mm-hmm. to go home and be you, do you, spend time with your husband. I said, if you have training deadlines, you do those here at the mm-hmm. office. You're paid to, you're right. paid to do your training. Yeah. You know, and, and I wasn't hearing her and it took mm-hmm. me until all of a sudden she's like, well, you know, I, I was not understanding that she thought she had to go home and do her trainings. Ah, uh, okay. And all of a sudden I was like, what? Wait a second. Why are you, you know, so sometimes it's a matter too of a manager of, wait a second. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? You're going to be working into the all hours of the night to get your training done. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, anyways. Yeah. Well, that. and seeing the whole picture, you know, cause you know, we really, the best workplaces allow people to bring their entire self. So a lot of managers will say, check your emotions at the door. That is physically not possible. No, it just isn't. No, you know, you know, you know, hopefully they don't interfere, but we need to be able to help people because that also means those good things. That also means them not telling somebody, hey, I got engaged this weekend. Nope, leave your emotions at the door. Right. And that doesn't make sense. Oh, my gosh. My the company that, you know, I work at, we we laugh, we cry, we my boss will pull me aside and be like, hey, you you okay? I know that you had a rough week. I know that your power was out for 24 hours and you had a tree fall on your, I was a mess. Mm-hmm. I... <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. the way Who that, plans I... for that, right. That there, yeah. that's the way that every company should be. Mm-hmm. You all right. You okay. Do you need, you know, well, do you need yeah. a day off to take care of your personal stuff? Yeah. And more than once, you know, cause as you were talking about grief and I think culturally, we're not quite sure how to handle grief. We think three days should be enough and you come back as your happy old self. And we don't know how to continue to be empathetic as people process their grief or say the, you know, the stress and the happiness of a newborn or a marriage is, you know, even after that time, how are things going? You know, and just remember that they are a whole person and none of life is in a discrete time frame. Right. It's, it's a, you know, it's a spectrum that we experience. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the best leaders that understand that mm-hmm. and realize how important that is um, and how it doesn't really take all that much time. I just got a puppy and I don't, for all you people, individuals, people out there who, who've experienced having a puppy, it's like having a baby that bites you really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going through a very... Uh- wide range of emotions up and down and you know i also have a four-year-old so i i my 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 boss sees the the you know the bite marks all over my hands um so even just having that come into your life all of a sudden you're like oh my gosh dogs keeping me up at night and barking all night long like yeah any it, it doesn't matter what life is messy and if you're not an employer allowing you to be yourself at work and understand that life is going to get messy, you're, you're, you're going to miss out on great employees because there are companies that are willing to understand that, yep, life happens. If you're coming to my company and you're producing and you're doing a great job, mm-hmm. hey, we'll roll, we'll roll with you. Obviously, if you're, you know, got drama every single week, there's an issue, but sure. You know, life happens all over the place, all the time. Right. Yeah. But, you know, people that are able to manage that, get their job done, 
do it well mm-hmm. and still have production, you know, and, and, and a life. And yeah, but think about what happens to that employee when they're not seen as a whole person. Right. And so now, I mean, some people call it wearing a mask. Some people may call it hiding. Correct. Um, eventually that, that weight wears them down. Right. The I just can't do it anymore. Right. The stress of that is I go, um, so I've, I've spoken with, um, individuals, uh, not, I haven't spoken with individuals, but, um, I've spoken with Denise Shamans. I, I go back to the conversation with her. She is the, um, Denise Shamans and, uh, Chelsea, uh, booty because they run a not-for-profit organization called good friend Inc. Um, and they bring information out to the world about, uh, neurodiverse individuals. Oh, okay. And one mm-hmm. of the number one things that they talk about is how hard it is for somebody who is on the spectrum or a neurodiverse individual to go and work if, um, you know, at a, at a company, if there are not special um, accommodations, special oh, accommodations okay. set up for that individual mm-hmm. because they process information differently. Mm-hmm. And so it, part of that is that it is exhausting for some individuals, and I'm not just speaking to neurodiverse it is exhausting for some individuals to have to constantly pretend to be something that they're not or constantly Mm -hmm. have to shape themselves or try to fit themselves into an environment that is uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and i Mm -hmm. and i bring up you know denise and chelsea because they talk about neurodiverse individuals constantly trying to mold themselves into what society believes to be the norm right nobody Mm -hmm. should have to do that it's it's completely emotionally and physically exhausting. Mm-hmm. We should all have the right to be able to be who we are all the time. And if people yeah. out there can't be that because they're assholes, well, they're going to be found out anyways. Right. And, and the good people who want to go to work, do their job, mm-hmm. want to be able to go home and be with their family and be happy, those are the ones who are going to rise to the top and shine. Mm-hmm. And I went on a complete and total rant. <laughs> no, but I think it brings up a good point because yes, it, it, I think it's more obvious um, with people that are neurodivergent, mm-hmm. but I think the, the best leaders already do that, but in, you know, maybe a less um, dramatic way, you know, yeah. so for me, you know, with the housekeeping background, you know, the, the best housekeepers knew how this housekeeper liked to have her cart. And so they made sure that, you know, that that happened or, you know, let's, you know, let's put her, she doesn't like to be moved around. So we don't need to move her. Let's do that because, you know, like you with that change, it kind of upset the day and she's not as productive Mm -hmm. and she doesn't want to go home feeling unproductive. But I think the best leaders already understand that, Mm -hmm. that, that, that individualization, because it could be you know, if you celebrate with birthday cakes that you get the flavor that that person likes rather than just some random cake that you picked up at the grocery store, right. how much meaning would that flavor have to that person? Oh, you remembered that I like, you know, marble cake versus, you know, full chocolate. Right. Um, or you remember that I like cheesecake instead of, you know, a regular cake. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be such uh, a nonverbal expression of appreciation and respect right. that that counts a lot for things like retention, engagement, you see me, you hear me. And it takes nothing to do that. Yeah, absolutely. The little things, the little things are the ones that impact people in such a profound way often. Mm -hmm. So, all right, we are coming to time. So I'm going to ask you the question of the season. Okay. If you could go back to your younger self and give advice to your younger self, when would you go back and what advice would you give yourself? It's, it's interesting. And I'll pick this age for a reason um, around 30, because I think around 30, I was just having a conversation with the niece who's turning 30. She said, why do you think the thirties are better? You know? Um, and I said, because I think we find our voice then and we've worked through a lot of the expectations and figured out where do we really want to be and where we don't want to be. Uh, those types of things, but you have to go through those experiences to know what you don't want and where you do want to be. Um, and I think I would tell myself to to listen and act on, on my intuition rather than, you know, kind of say, oh, that's never going to work or I can't do that 
or no, I just need to toe the line. That next job, that's going to be the perfect one. Um, I think I would have had myself listen more closely and and I may still have stepped away when I did, but I think I would have better directed my career and probably would not have taken the same job over and over again at different places. Maybe I would have gotten into a training function where I would have been more fulfilled and, and satisfied and still being able to do my best work rather than, because the compliance work I can do, you know, and it, and it comes easily, it's not what I enjoy, but I can get it done. And so people appreciated that. And so I got recognized for that, um, but it wasn't what fed my soul, you know, fed my soul. Um, but when you get that recognition and those accolades, that feels good, uh, but not good enough. After a while, it just wasn't good enough. You are very similar to the advice, the age that I would give myself advice, because you're, you're really right. You, I think 30 is definitely the age where people find that voice because you're, your 20s is truly that experimental of what do I want to be when I grow up? Mm-hmm. You know, where do I want to be? What company do I want to work for? And, and mm-hmm. um, you learn so much in that 20 to, to 30 year span, mm-hmm. that 10 years of, of really gathering as much knowledge as you can. You believe that you know everything. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't until you all of a sudden look back and go, yeah. wow, I really did not know very much. But that that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you, um, how would they go about doing that? Uh, probably the easiest way is find me on LinkedIn, connect with me. Um, you know, I post quite frequently on there um, and I try to interact with people on there. Um, and then email at Paula at leadingupcoach.com is another way to get a hold of me. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn is where I spend a, a good deal of my time creating relationships and, and posting content and just helping people. Um, just to give them little tidbits here and there. Perfect. Well, Paula, I really appreciate, again, you taking the time to come on and talk with me today. Um, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, thank you. No, it's been a nice experience. Thank you. Yes. Thank you again for listening to Let's Talk HR. I appreciate your time and support. Without you, the audience, this would not be possible. So don't forget that if you enjoyed this episode, to follow us, like us, or share us. Have a wonderful day.